Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Cantor will continue teaching us from the book of Esther and how well Mordecai built up Hadassah in the knowledge of God and preparing her for God's future use. Download this message for free at friendshipwithgod.org and iTunes. We want to thank you so much for your listenership and your support of the Friendship with God radio program. Now, as Christmas is approaching and Hanukkah just a few weeks away, Tom Cantor has written a 17-page gospel track called How a Jew Learned the True Meaning of Christmas. Now, this track will help you to reach lost Jewish people at Christmas time, whether they're at your work or maybe they're just friends or neighbors or someone you know. This track has a wonderful illustration that is even good for Gentiles or Jewish people. It's a wonderful track. Now, this booklet is not available on our website, and we truly do have a limited supply of them. But it is available for a donation amount, any amount, today, if you call us at one 800 247-3051. That's 1-800-247-3051. You can get Tom Cantor's gospel tract, 17-page gospel tract on how a Jew learned the true meaning of Christmas. Call us today for a donation of any amount, 1-800-247-3051. Now here's Tom Cantor as we continue our study from the Book of Esther on the Friendship with God radio program. And it starts off in Psalm 137 with a scene. We are carried right away to a certain place called by the rivers of Babylon. And it says, by the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down. Put yourself in the place of these people. Yea, we wept. So they were there weeping. When did they weep? When we remembered Zion. We hanged our harps upon the willows in the midst thereof. For there, here's the phrase again, they that carried us away. They that carried us away, captive, required of us a song. And they that wasted us. See, on the one hand, they that carried us away. Now, they that wasted us, required of us mirth, saying, Sing us one of the Lord's songs of Zion. And then they look to each other in verse 4 and they say, How can we do that? How can we sing the Lord's song in a strange land? Get the feeling of it? The sadness of this picture. It's so incredibly sad. It's a foreign land. They're sitting down. They're exhausted. They're hopeless. You can see in there all their hope. They're carried away. Their hope was carried away. Everything's draining out of them. And they're weeping with a sense of absolute hopelessness, absolute despair, enslaved with no hope, ever being freed. And all they have are these painful memories of Zion. Of Jerusalem. That's all they got. And so the instruments for their joy, their harps, they just hang them up in trees, not even oak trees, willow trees, weeping willow trees. Felt like them. And there's no reason to sing anymore. It'll never happen again. We will never return. That's what they're thinking. Never return. And so this phrase appears. Why? Because of they. Who's they? They carried us away captive. Who's they? Now they that wasted us. And now they're requiring us a song. They've squeezed everything out of us. Now they've got to kind of squeeze out because they've sat on the sidelines and they've heard when we had hope and they heard when we wanted to return and they heard our heart's desire when we were asking to be delivered from them and now the very captors are saying to us, saying us one of those songs, dance for us to entertain us. You feel it? The feeling they've been abused, the feeling they've been enslaved, the feeling they're lost Their hope is lost and the feeling of their yearning to return back to Jerusalem. How sad. Well, that's our hero, Mordecai. 
He's part of that group. He is part of that group. Mordecai is of that people. He was carried away. He was wasted. He was a despised Jew. And so now look back in Esther chapter 2. And we learn more about Mordecai in verse 7. It says, he brought up Hadassah. Hadassah. That's her name, Hadassah. Well, but he has to explain. That is Esther. Whenever you look at Esther in the book of Esther, like I said, like Jim said to me, Esther is the name she hid under, the name she, she stole the identity from somebody named Esther. I don't know how she did that. Anyway, this was a case of stolen identity, right? Because this wasn't Esther. This was Hadassah. Hadassah was her name. That means the myrtle tree in Hebrew. That was her name. Esther was a name that she hid under to conceal that she's one of those Jews, one of those despised people. And it says, for she had neither father nor mother. It's getting worse and worse, sadder and sadder. The more we read, we're like going to start crying here. No father, no mother, but she was fair and beautiful. Uh, that was a, maybe Mordecai, I'm not sure he looked at that as a great benefit. But anyway, she, this is what it says, fair and beautiful. It's fair and beautiful, that's what she was. There's two words used for fair, two words for if you're beautiful. Fair means she had a beautiful figure, outline, and uh, that's what fair means. And beautiful means she had a beautiful face, beautiful countenance. And so now you know that this book was written by a man. Who Mordecai, when her father and her mother were dead, oh, I have to keep saying it that way, took for his own daughter. So here's the situation. Here we learn that Mordecai's brother and his wife had died. So evidently, Mordecai had a lot of death all around him. You know, I can understand this because when we go to Ethiopia, in the town that we work in, all over Ethiopia, there's just death. Death is so common. You know, you don't realize, I mean, death is bad enough here, but to be in a village like where we are, where the average lifetime age is 42 years old, that's how old people live, 42 years old, there's just death everywhere. You'd be driving down the road from Addis Ababa down to Budajira, and then all of a sudden you've got to stop the car because there's this group of women, and they're, they're in the street, and they're, and they're yelling, and they're wailing, and so forth. And Why? Because they do that for 30 days when somebody dies. They just wail for 30 days and go into the streets and do it. So you have to stop the car and carefully go around, and it happens all the time. Why? Because death is so common. It's so sad. And Mordecai was surrounded by this. He lost his brother. He lost his brother's wife. And they left with this daughter, Hadassah. But he was a good man. Mordecai was a good man. Color Mordecai, good man. He was a really good man. Why? Because he committed himself to raise this orphan daughter, Hadassah. And when it says he brought up, that's the word he built in her. He built in her. He saw that in this little girl, the knowledge of God had to be built into. He had to build the knowledge of God in her. He had to build in her that we are God's people. God has promised us the land. We will go back to that land. God is good. Let me teach you the things of God. Let me teach you all about the Psalms that King David, King of Israel, had had taught us. See, that's what he did. He, He took that responsibility. He saw Hadassah as his responsibility. Do we see children that way? Do we see children like Mordecai saw Hadassah? Children, he saw Hadassah as a person who was entrusted to him by God, that he had responsibility to build the knowledge of God into in the short period of time that he had her, had, had her in his life. Do we see children, whether we teach them or have them, however it may be, do we see children in the same way Mordecai did? responsible. Moses, our teacher, taught us 
about this. In Deuteronomy 11, I'm just going to read these words to you. Therefore shall ye lay up these my words in your heart and in your soul, and bind them for a sign upon thy hand, that they may be as frontlets between thine eyes, and ye shall teach them your children. Speaking of them, when thou sittest in thine house, when thou walkest by the way, when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. That's what Moses, our teacher, taught us to do. Those kids are a responsibility from God for us. We've got a job to do. We're going to report to God. And God's going to say, how'd you do? I say, God, during the time I had them, I taught them. I taught them as best I could. I spent time with them. I taught them about you. And when I sent them off, they were ready to go out into the world, out of my responsibility more anymore. We have a school, as many of you know, down in Takati with 100 children. And we have those kids for six years. That's all we get. We get six years in their lives from the time that, that they start, when many of them do, from the time when they're 42 days old, that's when we get them, and we have them until they're six years old. And then we have to send them out into the atheistic public schools in Mexico. Did you all know that Mexico is an atheistic country? Did you know that? Mexico, Cuba, same. They officially, it is an atheistic country. It's atheistic country. It's illegal to talk about God in the school systems. If you have, thanks to Benito Juarez... Anyway, he made war against God, against the church, primarily the Catholic Church. But he made a law, Section 130, that says that if a church ever occupies a, any building, a room in a building, a floor in a building, or a whole building, even if that is rented to that church, if that church leaves it, that building becomes the property of the state, regardless of who owns it. Okay, that's what we work against in Mexico. But realizing that we have such a short time with them, we do all we possibly can because we know when they're six years old, they're going into that type of environment. We teach them as best we can. You pray, you pray, you pray. You seek, you seek, you seek God. You love, you love, you love God. You become missionary, missionary, missionary. And we do this until they're six years old because we realize, and, and then, and then uh, we have a big graduation ceremony and everybody cries as the kids, the kids who are graduating stand there and they're, Their classmates uh, stand in front of them, and they have a song, you know, I'll fly away, and and then the classmates sing, you'll fly away. And it's it's a hard time, as we realize it's literally true. And I always bring the same message to the the group on on these graduation days, and I always bring the message about Jochebed. Jochebed had Moses, Moses' mother, Jochebed, had Moses for a very short period of time. And she did all she could. She prayed over him. But there was a time when she was forced to give up her baby. And when she took that baby, and as she was holding that baby, getting ready to put it into the Ark of Bulrushes, she washed that baby in her tears as she was forced to give that baby up. And when she set that baby into the ark, the only way she could keep her sanity was to see that she wasn't putting that baby in an ark. That ark were the hands of God. And so she was saying, oh God, not an ark, but your hands here. Now you have to take care of them. And so that's what we have to do. That's what Mordecai did also as he raised Hadassah this way. He did it that way, and he used the time that he had in her to build in the knowledge of God. Because sure enough, there was the day when he did lose her as well. This is Mordecai. How in the world is God going to save the Jewish people, his nation, through this man in the description we've seen so far? He seems so inadequate for the job. Well, I'm glad you asked the question. We will continue finishing with Tom Cantor's message. Now, Tom Cantor wants to help you to better understand the Jewish people. So today we're offering a two-disc DVD teaching set about the Jewish people. It's called The Jewish People, Past, Present, and Future, as Seen in the Life of Joseph. It's a wonderful two-disc DVD set 
that we'd like to offer you today for a donation amount of $50 or more. So please call us today at 1-800-247-3051. That's 1-800-247-3051 to get a copy of this two-disc DVD teaching set from Tom Cantor on the Jewish people, 1-800-247-3051. And that's for a donation amount of $50 or more, and we'll be able to send you that two hours of teaching from Tom Cantor. This great two-disc set will help you to better understand the Jewish people, their past, their present, their future, as seen in the life of Joseph in scriptures. Now, we're offering this, again, for a donation amount of $50 or more. You can get this two-disc DVD set so you can learn more about the Jewish people, their past, their present, their future, and great Tom Cantor teaching. So call us today for your donation amount of $50 or more. We'll send that to you, 1-800-247-3051. That's 1-800-247-3051. Now, we also have a book written by Tom Cantor called Understanding the Jewish Messiah and the History and Future of the Jewish People. This book shows you the biblical past, present, and future of the Jewish people. Now call us today so you can learn more about God's lost, chosen nation of people. Again, call us 1-800-247-3051. That's 1-800-247-3051. For a donation of $50 or more, we've got the two-disc DVD set or the book from Tom Cantor on understanding the past, present, and future of the Jewish people. Now here's Tom Cantor as we continue our study from the Book of Esther on the Friendship with God radio program. All right, turn to, <laughs> turn to John chapter 6. John chapter 6, because something very similar occurred here in John chapter 6, verses 5 to 13. Here was a case, as you're turning to it, I'm just going to describe it to you, where there was a great need called a great company of people that were hungry. That's a great need. It's a great need in my life. I'm just one person. When I'm hungry, it's a great need. There's a great need. And so it says here in verse 5 of John 6, When Jesus then lifted up his eyes and saw a great company come unto him, that's the need, he saith unto Philip, when shall we buy bread that these may eat? Just, I can't get over this. Here's the creator of the universe turning to Philip and saying, Philip, help me out. How in the world are we going to feed these people? It was the question. It was the test. And this he said to prove him. For he himself knew what he would do. I hope so. But it was the test, see? So Philip answered and said, 200 penny worth of bread is not sufficient for them that every one of them may take a little. Okay, that was Philip's response. Okay, does he get an A or does he get an F? <laughs> okay, sorry, Philip. Next. Oh, next. Here comes Andrew, one of the disciples. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He says, get out of the way, Philip. I'll do this. He said, look, look, look. I have a lad here. And you can just see him inflated with the whole thing. He was so excited. There's a lad here. And that's when he's at his highest point. You love it, don't you? Andrew. There's a lad here. But then he goes, which has five barley loaves and two small, <laughs> not even normal size Small fishes. I'm sorry. What are they among so many? <laughs> poor, poor guy. Okay. Andrew, A or F? <laughs> sorry, Andrew. Jesus said, make the men sit down. You guys failed. We'll fix it. Make the men sit down. And there was much grass in the place. So the men sat down in number about 5,000. And Jesus took the loaves and when he had given thanks, that's the instruction of it all. He gave thanks. He distributed to the disciples, the disciples to them that were set down, and likewise the fish as many as they would. And when they were filled, he said unto his disciples, Gather up the fragments that remain, that nothing be lost. That's a further lesson. Therefore they gathered and filled twelve baskets with fragments of the five barley loaves, which remained over and above unto them that had eaten. That's a great, great, great illustration for us. 
Because Philip, he didn't do so good by just saying, well, even if we had 200 pennies, okay. Andrew, we already saw how he kind of petered out in the middle of his proposal. But Rabbi Jesus, and don't we love to see him here in this context, takes the loaves that Andrew found, and he gives thanks for them and distributes. What is he teaching us here? Go forward with God with what you got. Give God all you got, and then go forward with God with what you got. Don't look at what you wish you had, 200 penny worth of bread. Don't look at what you have. Use what you have and go forward with God. And then it said, when they'd all eaten, Rabbi Jesus said, gather up the fragments that remain that nothing be lost. Now, why did he say gather up the fragments? I mean, you know, is he become an environmentalist now? And, uh, you know, he doesn't want to litter the countryside, you know. That'd be a bad thing. Well, he says, because you see, one of the reasons that he did this is because you'll see, if you look at Mark 8, he said, having eyes see ye not, having ears hear ye not. Do you not remember when I break the five loaves among the five thousands, how many baskets full of fragments you took up? And they said 12. So one reason is to create a memory. I want you to see, and I wanted you to be impressed of what God did. So you go up and gather up everything, and you realize that five barley loaves would not fill 12 baskets. God did a big miracle. So he wanted that. But there's a second reason why Rabbi Jesus said this. It's because he emphasized to them, and you see what he says, those words, that nothing be lost. Gather up that nothing be lost. Here before the disciples were 5,000 men, like many, many men, many men. And so would it be so tragic if some of the fragments get lost? Would it be so tragic if some of the 5,000 men were lost as well? I mean, um, you know, here was a situation where Rabbi Rabbi Jesus says, we're not going to let this opportunity go by. We're going to teach you from this. We're going to drive home a point. So he says, gather them up. You know, the word gather, that's an important word when he says gather, right? Because what did he say? He said, uh, well, first of all, we know that he wasn't saying to them, look, you better gather it up because it's going to be a long time before you get more miracles like that and you're going to get pretty hungry until that one rolls around. So you better stock up, boys. You think he was saying that? I don't think so. Why? Because in Matthew 6, he said, I want you to look at the fowls of the air. They don't sow, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns, but they get fed. Your heavenly Father feeds them. So he wasn't saying that. So why do you say gather up the fragments? Because in Matthew 24, 31, it says he'll send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet and they'll gather together his elect from the one end of the heaven to the other. And you remember the great, great prayer, or prayer is his cry. When he stood outside of Jerusalem in Luke 13, he said, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, which killeth the prophets and stonest them that are sent unto thee. How often would I have gathered gathered your children together as a hen doth gather her brood under her wings and you would not. So when Rabbi Jesus uses this term gather, he knew exactly what he was trying to teach them. And it wasn't about being thrifty. It was trying to teach them, don't waste souls. Don't waste your opportunity with souls. Gather up every single fragment, every single bit. Look at that. And then he said that nothing be lost. Oh, that's a word. Say that word and that and light should go on there because they would remember his mission statement in Luke 19.10. The Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Exactly. That which was lost. So with those two words, gather and lost, 
We understand Rabbi Jesus is not talking about the bread here. He's talking about the 5,000 men. You boys work hard that none of them be lost. Gather them up to God. Make sure they get, a, get gathered up to God. Get them into God's salvation ark. That's what he was teaching them. And so every soul is important to God to be saved. Why? Because of 2 Peter 3.9. The Lord's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. All gathered up. 1 Timothy 2.4 Who will have all men to be saved. Everyone. Everyone, he said. He's not willing that any should. So with Mordecai and Hadassah, who together are going to save God's people from destruction, they appear so weak, as we've said already. They appear so weak, they look like the five barley loaves and the two fishes. I mean, who was Mordecai? A foreigner? A captive? A Jew? Who was Adassah? An orphan? A Jew hiding? Like Gideon, she looks like, uh, behind the fact that she's a Jew and taking on this this, uh, stolen identity of a Persian name. And we can ask along with Andrew, what are these two people against the rulers of Persia? What are these two? How are these going to save Israel? Well, who were the saviors? Of God's people. Who were the people we already saw from Psalm 137? The absolute hopelessness by sitting by the rivers of Babylon. Who were the ones who were going to bring the hope back? Moses, a foreigner, a slave, a baby boy that should have been killed by the Egyptian conquerors of the Jews, a baby put into an ark and pushed into a crocodile infested Nile River. Oh, he looks like a good candidate to deliver Israel. Who was Gideon, as we mentioned? A Jew pathetically hiding a little bit of grain from the Midianite conqueror of the Jews. Who was David? A shepherd boy yelling at the Philistine conquerors of the Jews? Who were Mary and Joseph hurrying, hurrying, scurrying quickly down into Egypt trying to protect their Jewish baby from the sword of the Roman conquerors of the Jews? Who are we? Can God use us like he's... Mordecai and Hadassah and Moses and Gideon and David and Mary and Joseph. What am I? I'm just, maybe you feel this way like me. We're just like five barley loaves and two small fishes. Two small fishes. We're just inadequate. Well, the answer to these questions is not found in who is Mordecai, who is Hadassah, who is Moses, who is Gideon, who is David, who is Mary and Joseph. It's not found there. The answer is found in Michael. Say, What's he talking about? Michael, Michael, which means, Michael means in Hebrew, who is God? Who is like God? That's the answer. It's not who are they, it's who is God. Because who is God gives the answer to God used those people because they gave themselves to him. And that's what we're going to see develop for us as we go on in the book of Esther. God, five barley loaves, two loaves. Mordecai, Hadassah, you. Me, nothing compared to the need. But Michael, Michael, who is like God? God using. If God be for us, yeah, let me tell you how one of the people down at Takati put it. She was telling us, she says, her interpretation is, it's like, if God be for us, <laughs> what does it matter who's against us? <laughs> That's the way she did it. <laughs> What's it matter who's against us? <laughs> That's that verse according to Carolina. So if God be for us, it doesn't matter who's against us. Who can be against us? Because we have a great God. We have the God of Mordecai, the God of Hadassah. Let's pray. Father, help us. Lord, help us to allow you to put your hand under our chin and lift it up 
so we can see you and say, there's nobody like our God. Nobody. And if God be for us, who can be against us? And there's no need that you cannot meet, even through us, like five barley loaves and two small fishes. Thank you, Lord, for being this to us. Thank you for being patient with us. Because, Lord, like Philip, like Andrew, we get F. But, Lord, you say it's okay. Come on along. We'll improve that. So, Lord, thank you for improving us in your school of rehabilitation. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Friendship with God radio program with Tom Cantor. We appreciate your listenership and support of this program. Today we have another great offer for you. Many of you know that Tom Cantor is a great Bible teacher, a pastor, an evangelist, and a CEO. But maybe you didn't know that he's also a successful scientist. That's right. In fact, Tom Cantor has written a short booklet of his life story and his study of science and creationism. It's a 48-page power-packed testimony of his life and how science supports biblical truths of creationism. Now, you can get this book, How a Jew Became a Scientific Creationist, free today by calling us at 1-800-247-3051. And for any donation of any amount today, we'll give you that book for free. How a Jew Became a Scientific Creationist, call us today, 1-800-247-3051. That's 1-800-247-3051. Now, your donation helps to keep the Friendship with God radio program going across the airwaves, but it also helps the gospel to go out to millions and millions of people, especially lost Jewish people throughout the U.S., Israel, South America, Canada, America. It's going out door-to-door through our IRM missionaries and this radio program, Friendship with God. So go to friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, to be able to donate online or call us today at 1-800-247-3051. Call us at 1-800-247-3051. We want to thank you so much for your listenership and your support. Thanks for listening. Join us tomorrow.